If you turn them with me in your Bibles today, we're going to start in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, verse 23. If you don't have your physical Bible with you, that's okay. It should be up on the screen behind me. And today, surprise, surprise, on Father's Day, I want to just take a few minutes um, today to talk to you about fathers. And so don't just tune out if you're not a father um, and say, well, I'm not a father, so this ain't for me. Um, because I'm talking to, yes, I'm going to talk to fathers today for a few minutes, but I'm also going to talk to everyone that has ever had a father. So that should include you, I would think. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about fathers. Do you have one? Are you one? Are you looking for one? See, these are all different categories of people. Will you be one? You know, you don't have to be a natural father to be a father, to help father someone. Um, Paul the Apostle said that you have 10,000 instructors and not many fathers. Meaning, like, there's a whole bunch of people in this world that will tell you what to do. That'll give you instructions and tell you, do this, don't do this, you're, this is going to happen if you do this. There's a lot of people that'll give you a lot of instructions. And instruction is not a bad thing, but Paul's saying, there aren't many fathers. And so, how do you tell the difference in just an instructor and a father? Well, it's pretty simple. There's one real easy way to tell. A father is willing to invest in his children without looking for anything in return. A father makes sacrifices and investments in his kids. I sacrifice and I give things and I provide for my kids and I don't look for anything in return. I don't give something to Malachi and then look for him to pay me back. Look for him to repay me for my services. No, a father just gives. A father sacrifices. When you protect someone, when you mentor someone, when you speak into someone's life, when you provide for someone, you're filling the role of a father and you're tapping into the nature of our God because God is a father. So when you choose to be a father, whether it's your natural child or not, when you choose to fill any of those things I just said, a provider, a protector, a whatever it is, when you choose to fill one of these roles, then what you're doing is you're tapping into the nature of God. Because it's what God is, is a father. And so you start to look more like God the more you father. So how do I start? Like, how do I become a good father, a godly father? How do I look more like God? How do I be ready? Be ready to invest. Be ready to give. Because it, it requires you giving something. It, it may require you making a sacrifice of what? Sometimes money, sometimes time, sometimes advice is what's needed, sometimes a good dad joke. You just need to be prepared to give it when it's needed. Like if you're ready and you're prepared and you just have some ready that you've already kind of memorized, then if somebody says, hey, did you get a haircut? Then you can say, no, I got them all cut. <laughs> you got any advice? Yes, I sure do. Don't trust stairs. They're always up to something. Or, what concert costs just 45 cents? 50 cent featuring Nickelback. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. I'm done. So as you can tell, I didn't lead any of the songs this morning or anything because I've I lost my voice last week and I've been dealing with this congestion and I can't hardly sing and it's really frustrating to someone like me because 
I figure out this week that I sing a lot more often than I realize. But when I can't sing, I realize like how many times I try to sing and like can't or start coughing or don't have a voice or, and so um, yesterday I was in the shower trying to sing and see if my voice was gonna be able to sing today. And so I was in the, ch- in the shower trying to get washed up and singing at the same time. And I got a bunch of soap in my mouth and I was like, ah, but then I just kept singing and it was a soap opera. Okay, I'm, now I'm really done. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. Today, as we think about our fathers, because I'm sure we all will, and as I'm preaching this message, and you probably already have today, and all of us have a different experience where our fathers are concerned, and even some of us in the room have the same father. Right, Like I have some siblings in this room and we have the same father. But even for us, we probably had different experiences and different things happen. And we look at our father different because we're different ages. We're different genders. There were probably different interactions with him and me than there were with, say, him and Journey. So, So even with us, we probably think about our father a little different or have different ways. And everyone in the room probably does. So today I want to encourage you as you think, as we think about our fathers, me too. I want to ask you a question. Did your dad leave some gaps? Or were there some areas that you feel like he left a gap? Or were there some areas that you felt like maybe you needed him to do a little more? Or you needed him to be there in this area or that area? Or... Maybe it was to not do certain things that he did to you. But do you feel like your father left some gaps? Can I talk to you about the space or the gap between where you are and where you want to be? There's always this gap or this space between like where we are right now and where we want to be. And if you're talking about spiritually or financially or in a relationship or there's this middle space. You can say it all different ways. You can say the gap or the space or in the middle or and the middle's always the hardest time. It's like that time between the pasture and the palace. It's like the gap in between. Remember when David was called from the shepherd to be the king, but it didn't happen overnight. Like he was anointed and then he went straight back out to the pasture and had to keep serving. And then went on the run and almost got killed and all this stuff. Like the middle is the hard part. Same with Joseph. He had these big dreams, but it took a long time before it was ever fully fulfilled. There was this gap in between, but we know with David and Joseph that I just mentioned that what happens in between and what happens in the gap and what you choose to focus on there really makes the difference on where you end up, on the future that you have. You know, when you run a race, if, you, if you've ever run a 5K or anything, like you're pumped and excited and hopefully like for whatever dumb reason you signed up for it. So you've got some reason for being there, whether it's the people you're with or whatever so at the start of it you're excited and there's a giant crowd of people all around and there's energy and testosterone flowing and you're you're glad to be there but then like somewhere about halfway through and you're sitting there and your self-talks turn into you're an idiot what are you doing why did you run this this isn't fun like I want to stop I want to quit like that's the hard part is in the middle at the end when you can see the finish line you get this extra burst and your adrenaline starts pumping again because you made it, you completed it, you finished. But the middle, in the gap in between, that's the hard part. Three things happen in the middle. If you get stuck in the gap, is the first thing is you lose perspective. And I've already talked about that a couple times already. Like we lose focus, we lose perspective. We forget why we're doing what we're doing or where we're at or where we're headed or and there's fear. You get scared. Maybe I'll never make it, or maybe it's too far, maybe it's too hard, or maybe because of the things I've been through, I'm never going to be what I thought I was going to be. Maybe those dreams didn't really come from God. And the third thing is you just want to quit. 
it's easy to give up in the middle. It's pretty easy to give up in the gap. We're like, man, I can't build a bridge across this gap. I could never get from here, from where I am to where I want to be. I could never get there. I can't build this. So, so that's the, the third one is you just want to quit. You want to give up. That's why people go through what we call a midlife crisis. Have you heard about all kind of people going through a midlife crisis and they change cars and change jobs and change looks and sometimes they dye their hair and a lot of, sometimes they change spouses or just sometimes they just go crazy in their midlife crisis and so I, I was thinking about that as I was studying for this and I've been thinking lately about um, this year I'll turn 40 and so according to the Stats on age. I'm just about to hit halftime. Right this year, so if I live to be 80, I'll be exactly at halftime this year. So I've been thinking about that a lot. Midlife, exactly. Midlife or halftime. And I like football and basketball and different sports that have a halftime. And a lot of times at halftime, things can completely change. So I'm starting to like apply that to my life. Like, hey, I'm at halftime. As a father, as a pastor in life, all the things like, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for me because of how I choose to look at it. Um, and so I started thinking about what happens at halftime on a good team. A good team that is coached well because... If God's my father and I'm allowing him to coach me and I'm hitting halftime, then what should happen at halftime? Well, the first thing that happens at halftime, especially if you got a good coach, is you make adjustments. You look at everything that's happened up until now and say, hey, what's working and what's not? You don't get so stuck in what you've done in the first half that you won't change and you just lose. No, you look at it and say, hey, guess what? You know, this is working, this is working, but we're getting our butts beat in this area. Let's change that up. That's okay. In fact, that's what you're supposed to do at halftime. And if you got a good coach, that's what they'll make you do at halftime. So it's not a bad thing to look back on the first half or I mean, some of y'all aren't halfway through, and some of you maybe a little more than halfway through, but either way, it's not a bad thing to look back and say, hey, this didn't work for me. Hey, I tried this every time I got stressed out up until now, and it just didn't work. So now I'm going to listen to the coach and say, hey, here's a better thing we're going to do when we get stressed out. Let's try that for the second half, and we'll probably win the game. So that's the the first thing you do at halftime is you make adjustments. The second thing is you get a second to catch your breath and to check your wounds. Like you evaluate. If I'm playing in a football game and I'm not going to just come off the field because I get hurt, but at halftime you're looking around and make sure, hey, you know what? I'm bleeding out back here. I'm going to need some medical attention. Let's stitch this thing up or Hey, you know what? My eyes split open. We're going to need to try to stop the bleeding or I just poke myself in the eyeball. <laughs> wow. Good coordination. Okay, so at halftime, we determine can't see as good as we used to. <clears throat> but you evaluate your wounds, your hurts, and you say, am I healing? Is this something that's going to stop me? Is this something that needs help? Hey, I got a wound. I got a hurt from something that happened in the first half of the game. And it's not healing on its own. It's not going to be okay. So I'm going to need to go see a counselor. Right? I'm going to need to see a doctor, somebody that can help me stitch this thing up. So we evaluate our wounds. And statistics say that a lot of people have daddy issues. That a lot of people have some type of hurt or abandonment issue or some kind of pain that came from their dad or from something he did do or didn't do or whatever. So that falls into this wound thing. The third and last thing you do at halftime is you get motivated and hydrated. You refill the water. You get motivated for the second half. You get motivated to win this thing. Right? You don't just give up and quit and say, well, we're done. It's over. No. You get refilled and recharged. You're filled with the water of the word. 
So in the middle, middle of life, the middle of crisis. Remember Paul said, forgetting the past, like I forget the things I came from. Now I'm here in the middle, but I'm pressing for the prize. I'm not going to stop pressing and pushing forward. The space, the gap between you and who you want to be, who or what you should be, the gap between you and God, the gap between you and the dad you want to be, you and the husband, the wife you want to be, the the musician you want to be. You know what's in the gap of you and the musician you want to be? Bunch of practice. Uh, a lot of work. And what you do in the gap and in the middle makes a big difference. See, we all have gaps in our life. But we need to realize that. And did you know you can spend your whole life blaming other people for your gaps? It's Father's Day, so we're talking about fathers, but I know a lot of people that spend their life and most of their time blaming their father or their mother or, you know, someone else for why they're not where they want to be. And I get it, and I know there's hurts and pains, and I know you get handicapped and hurt by people and stuff happens, but... As long as you spend your time blaming someone else for why you're not where you want to be or you're not who you want to be, then you're never going to get to be who you want to be or where you want to be because you're always pointing a finger blaming somebody else. I've got a gapped up marriage, some gapped up kids or job or body or money or, I mean, we can go to all different areas. Lots of people have hurts. But I want you to know today, also, as we're talking about fathers and dads, that a dad can be the best thing. A dad can be a picture of God. A dad can make it easy for you to trust a heavenly father, a good dad, a good father. A dad can be a provider, a protector, or one of the greatest confidence givers. Even Jesus needed to hear from his dad before Jesus went into ministry remember God showed up and said this is my son in whom I'm well pleased this is this is my boy and then Jesus went into ministry but I need you to understand and realize that dads earthly dads are human they have gaps I have gaps as a human and as a father and Romans 3, 21, it's very familiar. I'm sure you've heard this scripture. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody has messed up. Everybody's got gaps. Everybody's has a problem. We all do. So don't just think about somebody else. Realize like you've got, you've got problems too. In Luke 15, we won't turn there, but Jesus is asked, why do you hang out with bad people? Why do you keep hanging out with sinners and speaking to them? And why do you go to the tax collector's house? Why do you hang out with bad people? And Jesus answers by telling three stories. They're very famous stories that I'm sure you've heard. That's why I'm not turning there. Um, Jesus answers by, by telling the three stories And the first one, it represents Jesus. And it's where a shepherd had a hundred sheep and one sheep was a dumb little sheep and it went off doing its own thing or something and it got hurt. And so the shepherd would leave the 99 and go after the one and put it on its shoulders and he would bring it home and rejoicing because he found the one that was lost. And then Jesus tells another story about a woman that had 10 coins and she lost one coin. And so she lit a lamp and she searched her house and she got out the broom and she swept the house. And she would not quit searching until she found the coin that was lost. And then she called all of her neighbors to celebrate. And there was great rejoicing when the coin was brought back home. And then the third story, that one represents the Holy Spirit, the helper that that comes to live inside of us. And then the last one that represents the Father, the biggest and most famous of the three stories that Jesus told there to reveal the heart of the Father, 
was about the prodigal son. You remember the story where, where the young boy said, Dad, I don't want to be your son anymore. I just want my inheritance. I want to go do what I want to do. I want to have fun. I want to go. And he took his inheritance and he left his father and he went away and he just wasted all the money on women and drugs and crazy, wild living. And he ended up in a really low place. And he decided to, to head back home. And, and the father saw him a long ways off and ran to meet him. So I bring up those three stories that symbolize Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. And I want to ask you this. What did the sheep, the coin, or the son do to bridge the gap and get back to where they needed to be? Like, like what did they do to get back in relationship with the shepherd, the the owner, the woman, or, or the father? The answer is nothing. They didn't do anything. Well, well, hold on, but the son, he came home. Yeah, for a job. As a servant, not to be restored as a son. His plan was, well, even my dad's servants get to eat three meals a day. I'll just go home and work my butt off and I'll never be a son or have any inheritance back or, you know, be welcomed back into the family. But at least maybe I could be a servant. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'll just talk. Thank you. <clears throat> he came home for a job. And the scripture tells us that while he was a long way off, while he was far, far away, that the father ran, ran to meet him and to restore him. Or you could say that the father closed the gap immediately. When the son turns towards home, that the father ran and, and closed the gap. In John 8, there's this cool story. John 8, verse 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again unto the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst. Now this was wrong. She wasn't just a victim. They actually caught her sinning and doing something wrong. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. It's not just what we heard from somebody else. She was messing up. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Jesus, what do you say? And they just wanted to know, what do you say? Jesus, what do you say? And isn't that the question of the day? What do you say? Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. You know, most of the people or the world that want to know, what do you say? What do you say? <coughs> they aren't really interested in what you have to say. They're just trying to get you in trouble. They're wanting to throw a rock at you. But Jesus stooped down. And with his finger, he wrote on the ground. And as though he, th as though he heard them not, Jesus just pretended like he didn't see them. And he bent down and wrote on the ground. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. So, they wouldn't quit. They wouldn't stop asking Jesus when he wouldn't answer them. So he said, okay, I'll, I'll give an answer. But he gives an answer with a question. You want my opinion? I'm not giving you my opinion. 
I say if you're qualified, if you're perfect, then go ahead. Like if you don't have any gaps and you don't have any sin and you don't have any wrongs in your life, go ahead. Go ahead and stone her. Throw the rocks at her. If you've got no problems yourself. What what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on what your dad did in that situation? Well, I know that I've not made all the right decisions as a dad. So I don't really feel like I'm qualified to chunk this rock. I'm I'm just going to drop that one right here. Because there's probably some areas that I probably didn't make the right decision either. Well, you probably weren't as bad as him, or you probably weren't as bad as her. We just caught her in the act of something bad, and Jesus is like, nah. Everybody has problems. Everybody's messed up in situations. That's not what it's about, stoning people. That's not what our God looks like. That's not what we're supposed to look like. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest and even unto the least. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus was the only one that was without sin. He was the only one qualified to throw a stone there that day. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you either. See, Jesus wouldn't let her mistakes define her. And grace is the only way to walk in freedom. So just because you're right doesn't mean you need a rock. I expect that people that aren't Christians, like, I expect them to throw rocks. If they think they're right or their cause or their whatever. That's, it's a natural thing to do. But if you look like Jesus, then you should be different. You can either prove a point or provide a place. But most of the time, you can't do both. Jesus said, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. I forgive you. <clears throat> How could Jesus say that? So we know that scripture says the wages of sin is death. And every time you choose to, you choose sin, just like if I go to work and my wages are X amount of dollars and I get paid after I go to work. So Jesus said the wages of sin is death. Then that means if I've sinned, then I get paid death. That's how they thought. That was the law. That's, that's what it was. But the next part of that verse says, so Christ was offered. And Jesus was already offering it to her, and he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. He was already offering this forgiveness and saying, hey, you know what? You messed up, but I'm going to pay for it. And so you can have the freedom to go and sin no more. Like, you don't have to live in that death. You can go walk in freedom because I'm about to pay. You don't have to pay. I'll, I'll pay the bill. All have sinned, Jesus said, true, I'll pay. So stop building bridges and focusing on the gap all the time. We spend all our time focusing on the gap and staring at the gap and how am I going to build a bridge to get myself to where I want to be and how how are we going to get over this divide and this gap that was left here by whoever, a parent or an abuser or a school teacher or wherever your gap came from, a sin problem that I have in me that I don't even know where it came from. or But we can't focus on the gap. We can't focus on the weakness or the handicap or, or 
we'll never get past it. We'll never get over it. We're not big enough and strong enough to build a bridge. 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap. I was given the gift of a gap, a space, this middle place that was hard, uh, a problem that keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. Look what he did. I quit focusing on the handicap. I quit focusing on the gap. I, I just quit focusing on the problem, and I began appreciating the gift. I changed my perspective. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. In my weakness, his strength is perfected, King James says. Not in spite of my weakness. God doesn't work around brokenness. He works through it. He uses it. God doesn't work around like, oh, well, I know they're broken or I know... You got these daddy issues, or I know you got these problems, and so I'm going to try to work around it. No, God uses that. God wants to work through that. But you have to release forgiveness and find some healing so that God can use those areas of your life. You can't just let it be infected and this open wound and hurting all the time because you're not willing to forgive. You're not willing to let go and let God heal you and move on. Well, yeah, Dusty, but, but what about James? Remember Jesus' brother, James? He wrote the whole book of James in the Bible. Remember in James where he says, uh, draw nigh unto God, and God will draw near unto you. Get close to God, and he'll get close to you. That sounds like God saying, hey, if you'll meet me halfway, like if you'll draw close to me, I'll get close to you. So if you'll meet me halfway, then I'll meet you halfway, and we'll build a bridge, and we'll meet each other in the middle. Right, that's what it sounds like that he's saying. But that's not really what James was saying. If you look at it, look at how the Message Bible words it. I love the wording on uh, James 4, verse 7 and 8 in the Message Bible. It words it like this. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. But God's just waiting on you to say yes, and he closes the gap. Say a quiet yes, and he will run to you. So my question for you today is, where's your focus? What are you stuck on? What is it that you can't seem to get past? What is it that you can't move forward from what is it that just keeps you stuck in the middle stuck in the gap christians are so good at pointing out problems and pointing out gaps and pointing out sin in each other and other people and pointing it out and focusing on it and if we're not careful church will become about fixing gaps and building bridges and a self-help seminar Bridge building classes instead of relationship with the Father. And as Christians, that's what it's about is relationship with the Father. That's good. It's fine for you to get motivated, and I'm all for self help and help you be a better person and all this stuff. That's a great thing. And, and you know, we talk about things like that. But the whole focus and point and purpose is relationship with the Father. That can't get out of order. Because if it does, then who are we? What are we? That's what Christianity's all about. 
You see, there's a Father who will fill every gap. A Father who is perfect love. Scripture tells us that God is love. That God is perfect love. Not he, he doesn't have love. He doesn't do love. He doesn't look like love. God is love. That's who he is. And so if there's a perfect father that calls you his sons and daughters, every single person listening to my voice, you are a son or a daughter of God. And he is perfect. And he is love. Then that made me think about this passage of scripture that explains to us what real love looks like, what love is. And so if God is love and God is the ultimate father, then this is what a father should look like. So if you go and read 1 Corinthians 13, check this out. You may want to do this again on your own, so make a note of it. But this is what love looks like. So if you're a good father, this is what you should look like. So you can measure yourself as a father by doing this. You can also read this. And all we're going to do, I'll go ahead and tell you what we're going to do. We're going to change out the word love. We're going to change that out for dad. For my dad because God is love and love is a father. Well, you can read it. And if you change out the word love for dad, then it becomes very apparent the areas where you've been left some gaps. And if you're reading it as a father, like I did this week, you'll read some of them and think, yeah, I got that one. I'm good on that one. I'm good on that one. Ah, maybe there's a gap there. Something I might need to work on. So here we go. Dad never gives up. Dad cares more for others than for himself. Dad doesn't want what he doesn't have. Dad doesn't strut. Dad doesn't have a swelled head. He doesn't force himself on others. Dad isn't always me first. Dad doesn't fly off the handle. Dad doesn't keep score of the sins of others. He doesn't revel when others grovel. Dad takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. And he puts up with anything. Dad trusts God always. He always looks for the best. And he never looks back. But he keeps on going until the end. That's what dad should look like. That's what love looks like. That's what a father could look like. Do you know that God sent his spirit into your heart to fill all the gaps that your father or anyone else may have left? That God's spirit was sent into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, I have a daddy, Galatians 4, 6, and 7 tells us and because you are sons God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba Father or Papa Daddy wherefore thou art no more servant what does that mean you're free but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ Somebody needs to know today as we close out this message that you have a father that can fly faster than you can fall. It may look like you're falling out of control. It may look like you've been stuck in a gap. It may look like you, you don't know what to do or where to go. Or And, and I was thinking about this picture because... You know, God's compared to an eagle. God's only compared to an eagle and a lion in the Bible. And the eagle is considered the king of the air, and the, the lion is the king of the jungle. And so there's all these parallels with God. And I was thinking about, I think we even talked about before that, about how sometimes the baby eagle will get pushed out of the nest or fall out of the nest, and that the father 
eagle can swoop down and pick it up and catch it. Like even if you're falling, even if you're flying down, you have a father that can fly faster than you can fall. You know, when you skydive, you're falling at an average speed of 120 miles an hour towards the ground. That's gravity's pull on you as you skydive. But eagles have been clocked diving. They can dive and fly straight down like going after prey or going after a baby eagle falling out of a nest or whatever. Eagles have been clocked diving at 200 miles an hour. So think about that. Like even if you're falling out of control, you got no way to catch yourself, you can't fly, you, you feel like you've messed everything up, you, no one's holding you on, no one's lifting you up, you're out of the plane. You can't even see the plane anymore, you're falling. Guess what? Your father can still fly faster than you and he's chasing you. And in one moment, he can shoot right underneath you. You have a father that can fly faster than you can fall. Grace says you have a father that is chasing you. So learn how to fly. Use this moment to flap your wings as you're falling because it's okay. Use this time. Use this gap. Use this middle moment. That's real freedom. Your father cannot forget you. He sees you. He's watching you. He's chasing you. So focus on him. Not the gap, not the problem, not the shortcomings. I got one more scripture to read you and we're done. Isaiah 49. 49, 14. Your father sees you. He knows you. This is when God's people felt like, hey, God, you forgot us. All these bad things are happening in the world and all these evil rulers have come up and the politically like we're being oppressed and abused and beat down and all this stuff's going on but Zion said the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten about me can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb yea They may forget. Okay, maybe a woman could forget. Probably not. Going to forget her baby. Yet will I not forget thee. Even if a woman could forget her baby, God's telling his people, I can't forget you. I won't forget you. You're my people. And look at this, verse 16. Behold, I have graven. That word graven. We're about to talk about it. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Graven or engraved you on my hands. It's like a tattoo. If you think about a tattoo. um, It's like a tattoo on my hands. So in ancient times, a slave would have their master's name tattooed on their hand so that if they tried to run away or do something else it was very easy you just grab them by their right hand and you would look on their hand and their master's name would be tattooed there and they would know who they belong to if they were a thief they got that hand chopped off but they would tattoo the name never would a master have the slave's name tattooed on his hand Never. That wouldn't happen. So in their mindset and them knowing this, for God to have said to his people, I will have you graven. You're tattooed on my hands. Like I could never forget you. I would never forget you. I am here. I'm with you. Even in this hard time. But if you search this word a little bit deeper, like on the surface, it's graven or engraved or like a tattoo. But if you go do a word search on this, it's a Hebrew word. And the root of this word, engrave, it means to engrave with a hammer and a chisel or a spike. 
God said, I can't forget you. I won't forget you. You're graven in my hands with a hammer and a spike. It'll go through my son's hands for you. See, I'm such a good father that I won't forget about you and I know you're going to be lost in your death and in your sin and I know there's going to be gaps and there's going to be hurt and pain and things that you can't figure out but don't worry because your father's chasing you and I'm going to sacrifice my own son to bring in many sons and daughters and I'll put the spike through my hands I'm going to engrave you on my palms I won't forget you I won't leave you. See, God loves you more than your dad. And he proved it with Jesus. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Dads, I know you love your kids. But God loves them even more. He knew them first. And he has a plan and a purpose. So let him work. With God, it's all about relationship. He just wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be with you. And no matter how good or bad or absent your earthly father was, you need to release forgiveness, find healing, and change your focus so that God can fill the spaces and the gaps. See, God will fill all that in. God will work it all together for his good. But you got to release some forgiveness. So I wrote this letter this week, and I started writing it as if I was writing it to my boys. As a father. And then um, I just really felt like God was laying it on my heart to write it for more than just my boys. And so I wrote this letter, and I really feel like it's going to help some people in the room to find some healing and to to be able to let go and to find some forgiveness. And so this letter is to you from your dad. This letter is to you from the heart of a father. And I believe it will bring healing and understanding and that it will bring some closure so that you can move on and let God fill the gaps. You can, if you want to close your eyes and listen to this or you want to think about your earthly father or you can take it from me with the heart of a father. But I believe this will bring some healing. I'm proud of you. You can do hard things things I never did you'll face giants I've never seen and you'll win your heart is strong and so is your stubbornness I cherish every moment that I got to be your hero and what you probably didn't know is you're my hero just by being alive you make the world a better place And you will leave a mark. When I look at you, I see strength. I see pride. I see giftings and talents. I see this fierce love. I see generosity. And I see freedom. I know there's some pain. I know there's a lot of fear that you have to deal with, but it'll drive your faith if you let it. I know that there are some insecurities and there's some addiction. I see it. But that's not who you are. As a father, I want to say I am so sorry. I'm sorry for my gaps. I'm sorry for my fears and my own insecurities. I'm sorry if I push too hard or not hard enough. I'm sorry if you saw me disrespect your mom or any other woman. I'm sorry if you struggle with porn because of seeds that I planted. 
I'm sorry if I wasn't there when you needed me. I'm sorry if I ever abused you in any way. It was wrong. And I was broken. But that does not give me the right to break you. I'm sorry if you ever felt abandoned. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. I'm sorry if I wasn't there to walk you down the aisle. I'm sorry if I was too busy to play ball. I'm sorry if you ever felt like another kid, a job, a ministry, another relationship, a drug, alcohol, any kind of drink was more important than you. I'm sorry if I ever made you feel like you weren't enough. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And don't let my mistakes hold you back. You have a Father in heaven that can build a bridge over all of my gaps. That's what Romans 8, 28 was talking about. He can work it all together for your good. If you'll find your purpose, and release forgiveness, and find healing. Though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. The future is calling. Will you grab hold of hope? Or will you let it die while you cling to the past? The pen is in your hand now. You can write a magnificent story. Love, Dad. You see, if you don't forgive people for their gaps, then it will be very hard for you to get ever, to ever get over your own. So release them. And let God fill the space. Let God fill you. It's halftime. What are you going to do? God, we thank you for our fathers. God, we thank you for the investments that have been made in our lives over the whole course of our lives. Thank you for any human that we've been able to catch a glimpse of you in. Whether it was our natural father or other fathers or other people that stepped up to protect us or to help us. Or, and that we've seen glimpses of you and who you are. But help us to be good fathers. Help us to be loved and to represent you well. Help us to grow each other up. God, I thank you that you're the father of us all. We're sorry for the times that we want to judge everybody and we want to grab stones and, and throw stones at people for messing up or for things that we think aren't right in their lives. Or God, forgive us for that. Help us to bring them to you, the ultimate father that loves them. And that runs to meet us. That can fly faster than we can fall. God, we love you. We thank you so much for grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.